And good morning, everybody. Very good to see you this morning. And we're continuing in our study, as you know, on 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writing to a church that was, I don't think it's uh, an understatement to say, highly dysfunctional. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but when I woke up this morning, I was just a little off. It's one of those things that's hard to put your finger on it, but I just felt off. And I suspect that many of us are feeling that way because, well, pandemic, election, all that stuff going on in our country right now, there are things happening that just seem out of our control. And so there are a number of things that we bring with us into a Sabbath or even into a worship experience. So in order to prepare us for what we're going to be discussing today from scriptures, watch this brief video in preparation as we dive into that passage today. Some today are hurting. Some today are depressed. Some are ready to give up. Some are feeling overlooked. Some are feeling distant from God. Some are in need of encouragement. Some are seeking guidance. Some need loving correction. Some are feeling in need of nothing. Not even God. Some are feeling pulled in two directions at the same time. Some are just feeling empty. Some are ready for God's gifts. to know what your response was to many of those needs listed in that video. Maybe some of you had thought, man, I sure wish there was a way I could meet some of those needs because I know some people that are going through something right now. Good for you. Maybe some of you were looking at some of those needs and you thought, yeah, I could actually have some of those needs met in my own life right now. Truth is, fortunately for us, God has gifted us in the body of Christ with spiritual gifts so that both can happen at the same time. And the truth is, probably most of us actually have some of those needs 
And we need those needs met while at the same time we're meeting other people's needs. That's kind of the way it works. And it seems a little paradoxical perhaps, but I think it's true. One of the best ways to lift ourselves up is instead of focusing our, on ourselves, to focus on somebody else who has a need and to lift them up. It's amazing how that will lift our own spirits as we're trying to encourage somebody else. Today, we get to dive into a section where Paul starts to talk about another batch of spiritual gifts we have in times past. Talk about Romans chapter 12 and some of the spiritual gifts that are really on the practical side. This time, we're looking at his list of gifts, which has to do, a lot of them have to do with uh, some supernatural abilities, some of which have been a little bit overblown or taken out of context, many of which we still have in operation today, but we're going to see how they're in operation and that very often how people are trying to talk about them are not exactly what Paul had in mind back in his day in Corinth. So let's look at those today. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. Let me read that passage for you today. Now, Paul says, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Let me read that again. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given, say it out loud, for the common good. That's important just in case you couldn't figure that out. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today. So the spiritual gifts, I think a real key to what Paul has been talking about and wants to continue to reinforce for us as he enters into this section in 12, 13, and 14 big important chapters in the middle of his uh, letter to the church in Corinth is for the common good. We know that the context for a lot of what he's been discussing is disunity in the church, and he's trying to show how everything God gives us is for the purpose of pointing people to the one thing that we can have in common so that we will develop unity instead of disunity. He's trying to bring order out of disorder something that's very characteristic of believers who are really following the Spirit. And it seems to be evident that everywhere he goes, he's trying to instruct people like that. 
We can see that in some of his other writings, and we're going to be actually alluding to a couple of the other things that have happened, which also show up in the New Testament, because sometimes the best illustrations are right out of Scripture as Bible illustrates Bible. Well, we understand also that these gifts that he's talking about were distributed by God as God determines. That's important. We're going to have the big question that comes up, well, didn't he say that we should pursue certain gifts? Yes, we're going to get to that especially next week and probably the week after as well. But we need to know that the original gifts that are given by God, when somebody accepts the grace that God has for us, accepts salvation, which he pours out freely to everybody who calls upon his name, he gives us gifts. He gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in himself is the primary gift because he is the seal of our salvation. He's like the down payment of everything that is to come from there on out. Everything we do after we are saved becomes an expression of our gratitude to him because we can't pay him back, and so we just love him back, and the Holy Spirit helps us learn how to do that effectively. We understand in this passage that there are diverse gifts. He listed a bunch of them, and they're all very different, but they're all put to work by the same God, which he illustrated again and again to show us that it was important that we know that it's the same God at work, even though the workings are very different. Paul's intended audience, the overarching issue, has continually been division among the people there in Corinth. They had people, as we know, from pagan backgrounds, then we had people from Jewish backgrounds. So you had people who came from a very diverse uh, series of circumstances and religious experiences. Some of those pagans, some of whom were in the audience, as was evidenced by Paul and how he worded the first part of this particular chapter, chapter 12, came from a pagan background. And they had some crazy worship experiences there, including some very immoral things, as we learned because of the Temple of Aphrodite and some other kinds of practices that would involve even temple prostitution. So he's writing to that group, but he's also trying to harmonize a group of very early believers by saying, yes, but some of you are Jewish as well in your background. You've been trying to live up to the Jewish law, and you've been, in your own minds, very upright and holy, and you've been living by all these wonderful moral platitudes. And so some of those people, I'm sure, would really look down on some of the folks who come out of a pagan background. You can see that it would have been a very difficult group of people to work with, almost as difficult as working with Democrats and Republicans. That's all I'm going to say about that. You won't hear another word about it today, I promise. There were people with great wealth. There were people with no wealth. There were people with great power. There were some, there were some people with no power whatsoever. And we saw that in how Paul was talking about the Lord's Supper and how it had sort of devolved into a class-oriented social event in which people with lots of power and money were excluding people with no power and no money. Some people were eating great lavish feasts, bringing the whole tailgate party with them to these feasts and leaving other people out. Paul says, stop it. Don't do that. If you really recognize the body and the blood in the portion of that meal where you're supposed to recognize the communion that we're supposed to have with God, you'd be communing with one another and you'd be sharing freely and sacrificially with one another, just like Jesus shared himself sacrificially with you. And the fact that you're not doing that shows Paul that he didn't, they, these people didn't get it. They didn't understand the real significance of that. And that's why he was saying, some of you are weak and some of you are ill and some of you have actually died 
because you're completely apart from what God wants to happen in your life. You can listen to the whole sermon last week. It's been posted for you on our website. We go into a lot of detail about can God actually discipline, including even answering the question, can he kill some of his own people in order to keep them from some worse thing that happens down the road? It's an interesting study. What would happen if? So what would happen if, big if here, if people started using their God-given gifts for the common good, as Paul suggests here in chapter 12? Well, I suspect that people who are hurting would not be hurting as much. People who are feeling left out would be reached out to, and they would feel included and not left out anymore. People who had some reason to give up might find some encouragement, somebody to come up alongside them and say, I know what you're going through seems completely overwhelming, but you're not going through it alone. Here, let me help you. And they might not give up. All these things that we saw in that video, all those things could get met because people started using their God-given gifts in the way that God intended them to be used for the common good. Now, let's look at some of these individual gifts. I'm not going to have as much time to go into some as I do others, but I'd really like to camp out for a few minutes about knowledge and wisdom because they're so important. One thing I want to point out, too, is some people have extracted some definitions and added to them over time until we almost seem like we're talking about something completely separate from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when people give seminars and sermons about knowledge and wisdom. I think it's great for us to understand that if we look at the actual lives of real people and what they were doing back in the New Testament times, we can see how these gifts were carried out. And it helps us see that there's a whole lot more commonality here about the gifts being used in normal, average, everyday situations, rather than thinking of them as some superstars who are empowered with these great superpower gifts. And so that the people like the apostles would really be able to do some of these things. I think it's going to be really encouraging for us to see that normal people like you and I have been gifted in so many different ways by God who can manifest himself any way he wants to. He's God. Often he chooses to do so because of our specific makeup, and maybe we have a certain preponderance of gifts. Maybe there's a certain gift mix in which we find ourselves relating to other people in a way that exalts Christ easier than others. That's because he's gifted us that way. It's part of our shape. Spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, experiences, all those things that God gives to us. We see this happening with Apollos. Paul has talked about Apollos, talked about Priscilla and Aquila. Apollos, who needed some additional knowledge about the baptism of Jesus and its significance. And then Priscilla and Aquila, who are wonderful, gifted people, also had the wisdom to know that they couldn't just come and blast Apollos and say, you got it wrong, Apollos. What do you think you're doing by trying to preach the incorrect doctrine about the baptism of John? Don't you know there's something else there? They didn't come across that way at all. They had this spirit-empowered giftedness so that even if they were strong personality types, they were tempered by the fruits of the spirit. Another big thing that we've noticed is that the fruit of the spirit, as evidenced alongside the gifts of the spirit, that's when you know God is really manifesting himself. You're going to be able to see both the gift and the fruit, and unity will result in the body, and Christ will be exalted. All those things have been true as we've studied what Paul's talking about here. So Priscilla and Aquila invite Apollos to their home. They say, come on in, friend. Let's uh, roll out the red carpet. Let's eat together. Let's drink some tea together. Let's have a great time together, and let's chat a little bit. 
tell us about yourself. And then they would open up and get to know more about Apollos. Then as they earned the right to be heard, now this is my interpretation of what I see happening based on what we've seen Paul doing, especially as he's been such a bridge builder to other people saying, I will be all things to all people so that some may be saved. His total purpose is always so that people can come to faith in Christ. It's not so that he can create some subculture that's not identifiable as a, a Christian church. He wants them to become Christians. That's his goal. He's doing, they're doing the same thing here, Priscilla and Aquila with Apollos. They want him to come on board so that he's fully empowered with all the knowledge that he needs so that he can use his God-given wisdom to be able to expound that knowledge to other people. So they used their gifts of teaching and hospitality, probably empathy, mercy showing. There are several of these gifts that came into play through Priscilla and Aquila. The result is fantastic because Apollos became a strong defender of the faith and he was able to be able to, to really tell people in a way that they could understand it so that many people could come to faith in Christ. Another thing in a very basic uh, average everyday thing that was taking place back then in the New Testament, we can see how knowledge and wisdom factor in. Acts chapter 10, really great story there. You need to read it for yourself to go all through it. Uh, I want you to see the details sometime. I'm just going to be giving you the capsulized form right now. Remember that God spoke through some sort of a vision to Cornelius. He was an upright man. He was a God-fearer, but he was a Gentile. He was not a Jew, and he was told, you need to go over to this house on Straight Street, and there's this one guy who's also named Peter, but it was a different family, and Simon Peter is staying with this guy, and you need to go over there because I've got something for you to do. But it was on a need-to-know basis. It was like God said, okay, I have an assignment for you. Here's the envelope. These are the instructions. Uh, I've sent you the text. It's going to go to your phone. You have the GPS coordinates. Go over to this guy's house right now, and then I'll tell you more when you get there. He says, okay. So he does so. He gathers some friends, probably has a small entourage, and they do just that. They go to see what's going on with Peter there, not knowing at the same time that he's being obedient to what God has asked him to do with this little bit of knowledge, that Peter has been seeing this unusual vision as he was up on the rooftop. He saw the sheet that was being let down and all these unclean animals to the Jews that were in that sheet. And Peter's going, eh, eh, oh, they're unclean. And God says, hey, don't you call that unclean. If I call it clean, it's clean. He was trying to share something with Peter. Peter's thinking, what does all this mean? And then Cornelius shows up. Peter and Cornelius get together. What happens when the two of them get together? They apply the facts to their situation, and God, through his Holy Spirit, brings them into unity about something really huge for the early church. God was showing them through this unusual series of events that the gospel is not just for the Jews. Now it's going to be available to the Gentiles as well. Wisdom growing out of knowledge. They each had a little bit of knowledge. They put their heads together. The spirit got involved. Boom, something happened that allowed people like you and me, because I suspect most of us are Gentiles, to be invited in as children of the living God into the kingdom of God, because we're adopted. Isn't that amazing? I just find that an incredible story. And for some of us, we might think, well, God doesn't do that kind of stuff today. Oh, really? I happen to know a couple of illustrations about that. For example, in Zimbabwe, you know that I went on a brief mission trip to do a little teaching for some pastors there years ago. 
I had felt prompted by the Spirit after speaking with the missionary who's going to be hosting me that a, probably a good thing for some of these pastors in training would need to hear would be the ups and downs of Joseph, that person who was the favored son, and uh, his brothers didn't like him too well. He was sold into slavery. He got put into several bad situations, but the Lord was with him in every one of those situations, and he kept trusting God through it all. Through all those trials, God raised Joseph up into a position of prominence and influence, second only to the leader of that nation itself. And through Joseph, he was able to save Israel because all of his family was invited to come and stay in the land of Goshen. That's Goshen over in the Middle East, not Goshen, Indiana. Just want to make sure you got that clear. And because of all that God did through Joseph, he was fulfilling some greater prophecies that he would fulfill all the way through the descendants of Abraham. And he was doing that even through Joseph. So I was going to share that story with these pastors. I also had uh, been thinking about my Bible reading leading up to that trip about Cornelius and Peter. And I got the impression through the Holy Spirit and reading his word that something else was supposed to happen, that my sole purpose for being there was not just to speak to the pastors. I kind of figured that God had something else up his sleeve, but I didn't know what it was. But I was willing to go given only the amount of knowledge that I had at the time. And I did. And I went. My brother-in-law went with me. Uh, the three of us together are all related, and we had a great time together. Tom dropped me off in Gueru, and then he took Paul, my other brother, over to a different place where he was speaking to a different set of pastors. And for a week, we all got a chance to camp out there and meet some great people, talk to them, do some studying. And I loved the missionary who had hosted me. He and his family were great people. We hit it off immediately. Even though we'd never met, we felt like we just belonged in the same family. <laughs> Guess what? Because we are in the same family. And then I found out later after the trip that it was that missionary who needed to hear some of the things I was sharing because he was deciding when was the right time for him to retire from his stint because he'd been a career missionary so he could move back to the Chicago area and go back into the local church work. One of the things that I think God was doing was showing me that I can take God at his word and to say yes to something he invites me into, even if it's a little bit of knowledge. I don't have to know the whole picture. What he did through that was much bigger than I imagined. And I was so grateful that John Baker felt spoken to, the last person on the planet I would have expected to have been the beneficiary of uh, my obedience to God in that situation but it happens. And God still speaks to us, and he speaks most prominently and most loudly and most clearly through his written word, the Bible. The one who applied what I brought to him was not whom I expected. This is another thing that I think is, I think it's key for all of us, because there are so many things I do in my life that I think, well, man, I don't think I was doing much good at all. I don't think I was very effective. We may not know this side of heaven if we were effective or not. That's okay. If God prompts you through his Holy Spirit to do something and you have a little bit of knowledge and with wisdom, you say, I'm going to be obedient to do that thing God has asked me to do. And you never have any feedback. Don't worry about that. That's okay. Maybe you'll find out years from now when you step foot in heaven that somebody will be a part of the greeting team and they'll say, I'm here because you were obedient to that little thing that you did back then. You'll think, when did I do that? I've completely forgotten about it when we've been faithful to these little things, and when we've ministered to people in a way, we're still doing it as unto the Lord. And God may have wonderful ramifications for that. 
that are borne out later on. Acts chapter 15, another average everyday life in the day of the apostles in the first century, and yet this is how this knowledge and wisdom can affect people. There were some believing Pharisees who were demanding that these people who came from a different background be circumcised and that they had other legalistic requirements. They were supposed to adhere to every uh, jot and tittle, as they would say, of the law. We want you to dot all your I's and cross all your T's, and you have to live like us if you're going to become this new believer. Peter, who had been through this experience about the sheep being let down, uh, the vision that he had seen, the unclean animals, going uh, through the whole rigmarole with Cornelius, who had come to visit him, they discovered, no, God is up to, up to something. He's up to something huge. He is going to be taking the gospel all the way to the Gentiles, and it's by grace it doesn't have to do with works. Grace doesn't require anything of you. And so with Paul and Barnabas, who are also starting to understand that, they had seen evidence of the fruit of the Spirit and the Spirit being poured out on the Gentiles. They started to share their experiences, the knowledge, with this group of people called the Council of Jerusalem. And then James, the half-brother of Jesus, who winds up becoming the pastor at the Church of Jerusalem at the time, stands up and he adds some more knowledge and he quotes from the Old Testament. Here's another example of God's word being where we get the greatest knowledge from. He starts to quote something from there saying, oh, do you see how even way back here in the prophets, we're talking about how this is going to be poured out and it's going to be carried out to the Gentiles as well? Because of all these people coming into unity around the knowledge that they knew was uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit and affirmed by God, the people decided, all right, that's what we're going to do. We're going to rally around what we do know. And so they brought about wisdom. The leader said, let's send some trusted men out, carry a letter, read the letter to all these different uh, collections of believers, these different co local congregations, and say there are certain things that they've been listening to for years. It's been taught in every one of these churches. Those things are common to all of us. So let's say, stay to those things because they're good for you. They're spiritually healthy for you. Do that. Avoid sexual immorality. Avoid eating meat with the blood in it. That could probably be a health issue for us today as we look back on it now. God was doing something good through that as well. But they kept everything that they were requiring of them simple and practical. And they said, you don't have to go through circumcision. You don't have to live by every letter of the law if you're a Gentile because it's all about grace. That was a huge paradigm shift in history as God starts to open up freedom in Christ in a way that many people had never seen before. It happened because they were patient enough to listen to one another, pray through it all, listen to say, okay, this seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. We're okay with this. Let's move forward. God affirmed that because he brought unity out of it. Now, strange, I know, but I think there's some wisdom in this too. There was some skunk knowledge that I learned when I was a kid. There were simple things, facts, because that's what knowledge is. It's just facts. And I had learned facts as a young boy. I knew that little baby skunks that are called kits are just as cute as they could be. I mean, you look at those little things and you think, oh, isn't it sweet? They have these cute little colorations with the stripes there, the racing stripes. I just think they're pretty rad. But I also learned at an early age because we had two fences that were just separated by about six or eight inches between our back fence and the next door neighbor's back fence. And some a mama and a daddy skunk got together and created a little family. And so we had a bunch of kids living between the two fences in our backyard when I was a kid. I learned that they can produce some rather um, 
profound perfume. And I learned that especially because we had brought somebody with a live trap so that they could actually trap them and then cart them off into some desert area somewhere else. And some of the neighborhood kids decided they were going to find out what happens if you poke skunks with a stick. Note to self, don't. That was when they really showed us what they were capable of doing. So all this was something that for me caused me to have some fear and trepidation when I visited my grandfather. I used to call him Dadad. It was my father's father in New Mexico one time because my grandfather, Dadad, had actually raised a small skunk from being a kit. And that skunk had crawled into a camper, one of these campers that you put up on the back of a pickup truck. And it had crawled way back in the back under a table and none of the adults could shimmy down in there and get small enough to get under that table to get to where that little kit was. So guess who was small enough? That'd be me. And they said, Clark, you're just the right size. You are perfectly suited for this task. Somebody might say today, you're gifted in that area. Okay, I didn't know that my small stature would be a gift, but they thought it was. So they said, you just need to crawl back there and get this cute little kit and bring it back to us. Now, because of my previous knowledge, I was fearful about that because I knew that they had the capabilities of making this profound perfume. But I also had learned through the years that I could always count on my grandfather telling me the truth. He had never lied to me. He was so honest that even one time when I saw him cleaning his rifle one day and I said, Dad, Ed, have you ever shot anybody? He replied by saying, not on purpose. He was an honest guy. I could take him at his word. And so I looked at my granddad. I looked at all the other faces of the adults and they were looking at me like, yeah, it's okay. He said, it's okay. This skunk is not going to spray you. You're not going to get sprayed, I promise. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going for it. I was scared, but I crawled back there. I reached in, took a hold of that cute, sweet kitten-like little skunk kit and brought it back out. And he was right. I found out after that, they were sort of testing me to see if I would be obedient to doing that one thing they asked me to do on a need-to-know basis. They had actually taken the particular gland out of that little baby kit so that it could not spray me. It was not able to make the kind of perfume that I was so familiar with. So why is this important? Because I want to apply it to John Mark. I know it's been one of those weeks. It's a strange illustration, but just bear with me on this. I think it's going to make sense. I hope so. In Acts 15, we consider uh, some of the events that were happening as the early church was forming. We had seen the Council of Jerusalem, but things weren't all completely hunky-dory, not even after that, because there were some other missionary journeys that were being made. And there's something that said down toward the end of that chapter, chapter 15 in Acts, about a falling out that Paul had with John Mark. Evidently, and I think based on a previous sermon and digging into some of the things that were happening there, that the reason John Mark didn't want to go with him to a certain area that he kind of woofed out on him, he flaked, is because he was fearing going to these Gentiles. And he didn't want to do that because it said he went back down to Jerusalem. Why would he have done that? He was going back to the people he knew, to his own, own subculture, to be with people who were like himself. He wasn't willing to step out of his comfort zone and go try to share the gospel with those other people who were Gentiles. And so Paul was miffed about that. And when they were asking, should John Mark go with us? Paul's going, no. Remember that he flaked on us that one time. And John Mark happens to be Barnabas's cousin. 
So there was no small discussion. The Bible's telling us that it got pretty raucous, apparently. And so finally, even Barnabas and Paul sort of parted company on that one. They disagreed enough that they went separate directions that particular time. So we understand that there's some growing wisdom happening in the early church, including some people that had some knowledge, but they weren't quite ready to embrace it yet. They weren't quite ready to step over the line and say, okay, yeah, I can see how the Holy Spirit has been visited upon all these Gentiles, but I'm not quite there yet. Fortunately, we read enough later on to know that Paul said some wonderful things about John Mark. So obviously, there was a reconciliation at some point, so much so that Paul is saying, you need to send him. He's trustworthy. I know he's the guy we can count on. It was a wonderful thing to see that reconciliation take place. Here's the thing, though. Sometimes we just think of other people as being a little bit stinky, and we're a little bit afraid of them. And we think that if we interact with them, bad things might come back on us, maybe on our reputation. Maybe we're afraid that our kids will be influenced by them. And so we're afraid to reach out to people who are different than we are. You know what I'm seeing in scripture? I'm seeing that a lot of people are like that. And so you're not alone if you felt that. I understand it. I felt uncomfortable many times. I felt uncomfortable going to Zimbabwe. I didn't know if these people would be so different that I wouldn't be able to connect with them. What I discovered was they're people. They had the same needs that everybody else has. And we connected at such deep levels. And I learned a lot from them, just as I hope they learned from some of my teaching to them as well. So what I think I'm seeing happen in this early church and through the Apostle Paul trying to teach people is we shouldn't be afraid of people who are different than we are. You shouldn't think of them as being like skunks. We should think of them as being just like fellow human beings who need to connect with another fellow human being so that, as Paul would say, we can tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's the thing that will change them forever. And we want them to be changed forever because we love them enough to share the gospel with them. There's some modern wisdom that took place with Joy and me when we moved our family all the way from Arizona to New York as I spent one year as the executive director of a parachurch organization there, Neighborhood Bible Studies. I was scared. I was excited, but I was also scared because this was a very different culture than the one I had grown up in. We had crossed over the Hudson River. We stopped for a little lunch in a diner there as we were getting ready to head north to go up toward where we were going to get into our new rented flat. And we bowed our heads and prayed, as was our family's custom. And even doing that little simple task made me feel uncomfortable because I didn't know if there were other people around who would see that as something crazy. Maybe we'd think, oh, those people are in a cult. What are, what's happening to us? It turns out there are a lot of people there who are believers, and we were surrounded by a bunch of them. But I was a little nervous, but we did it anyway because that was our custom. Apparently, a couple that was a little bit younger than we were and had been sitting over in the corner had watched us do that with our family. They finished their meal. We hadn't quite finished ours yet. They walked by our table, and in a very brief two-minute conversation, they asked us, are you new to the area? And we said, yeah. I thought, is it that obvious? And they asked what we were there for. We told them. And one of them, and I really think this was a word of wisdom from the Lord, said, I think maybe I should tell you, I feel prompted to tell you that you are not here only for the purposes you think you've been brought here. Just keep that in mind. The Lord bless you and your work here. Bye for now. And they took off. Man, that stuck out. 
it struck a nerve with me because I thought of that and it, it was such an unusual, it was quick, but it was such an unusual interaction that I pondered these things in my heart. And over that next year, I found out that they were exactly right. There were several big things that happened that had nothing to do with my job there. And I was so grateful that God sent us a messenger, somebody very simple, eating in a diner. It was so simple and it was so average, just an average situation. And yet it made a big difference in my life. We applied their word of wisdom and it was proven to be right. What I'm trying to, sh to show you through these things is we tend to think of these supernatural gifts as only reserved for the super powerful spiritual people. It's not the case. Some of us just need a little bit more faith, as did people like John Mark and others who were being asked to do things that to them were uncomfortable, but it needed to happen, and God blessed them for it. The legalists needed a little more faith to trust the God of grace so that they could say, okay, I'm going to trust that if these other people came out of some crazy things, including what I would consider highly immoral practices, even as they worshiped in what they worshiped and what they were putting their faith in, I need to trust that God's big enough to save them too. He doesn't save only those Jews who were trying to keep the law, because now that we understand it, the law didn't save us either. And so grace is for all of us. Some needed their faith to share the good news with others, even when those people were culturally very different. Healing, Paul's examples earlier, I think gives us some context that we might not think about. When he's saying that there are some who are given this wonderful gift of healing, we tend to think of the big huge supernatural healings. And uh, that's true. That did happen in the New Testament. But think about some other more innocuous things that we might not have recognized as being a healing. Some were weak. Others were ill. Some have died. That had to do with some of the people in the early church. And it was about how they perceived or misperceived the true symbolism of what Jesus did for us on the cross. One of the things that we understand is that the greatest healing of all is what happened that was foreshadowed in Isaiah when it said, by his stripes, we are healed. That whole passage is about our eternal soul healing, not about physical healing. If you really dive into it and understand the correct interpretation on everything Isaiah was trying to tell us, does that mean that we can't expect God to heal? No, he can certainly do that. But we tend to miss the eternal because we're so focused on the temporal. And a lot of times when somebody finally gets right with God and some other things line up in their life because we are mind, body, and spirit, God chooses also to heal in other ways besides just spiritual. We see that happening a lot, especially in the New Testament. And God hasn't stopped with that. Joy and I have seen amazing things happen. They haven't been used for self-aggrandizement by the people that we've seen do that. They haven't started a television program. They didn't start to buy an extra jet and three extra chateaus. They were just simple people doing what God called them to do without calling attention to themselves. They did what God asked them to do and God healed. It can still happen. Miraculous powers. Sadly, there are an awful lot of frauds today. It's just such a shame because they cast such a shadow on every other thing in the New Testament and on Christians that would like to be able to live according to what the Spirit guides them to do, I still believe that miraculous powers are at work today. They might not look quite as miraculous as we might think. Some of those miraculous things that happen, happen quietly, without fanfare. They happen without people calling attention to it, doesn't make it onto Twitter. <laughs> it still happens, though. 
There are a lot of authentic believers who don't turn God's gift into personal gain, and yet God uses them in some pretty miraculous ways. Uh, I'll just use one example from our conversation with a pastor who serves in another country. He had a pastor in that country come up to him, a national. He said, um, is it allowable? Am I allowed to, to pray for somebody for God to cast out a demon? And the missionary said, well, what caused you to ask that question? Why would you ask that? The pastor said, well, because somebody actually approached me and said, I believe that I am possessed by a demon right now, and I'd like for you to pray for me. And he goes, oh, well, that's interesting. He says, well, what did you do? He said, well, I hope this is okay, but I, I prayed for him, and I prayed that God would cast the demon out. Our missionary said, well, what happened? He said, well, he came out. <laughs> the missionary said, I think it's okay. <laughs> I think it's allowable. See, the fruit was there, something we don't see in America. This was in a country where they still have a lot of dark magic and some really dangerous things that, that happen on a fairly regular basis. And this pastor was so young in his work in the Lord that he didn't know if that was supposed to be allowable or not. But in the name of Jesus Christ, he cast out that demon, and the demon left. I can't dispute that because it came from a trusted source. I can take that source to the bank. Now, there are some teachers today that would say that some of these powers, these specific powers, went away back with the apostles. I've just seen too much evidence with fruit of the Spirit as well as the gifts of the Spirit exalting Christ and resulting in unity. Those are all the sort of key things that are supposed to happen when God is involved, and I've seen those happening today enough that I would think, oh, I think it still happens. I just think we've seen so much abuse of them that we would like to believe that they went away way back with the apostles. Now, if I'm proven wrong in that someday, I wanna be humble enough to admit it, but today, based on what I know and based on what I see in scripture, that's my story and I'm sticking with it for the time being. Prophecy, speaking forth the true message of God. When you see a lot of the things that are happening in New Testament prophecy, it had more to do with what we would consider strong preaching from God's word rather than the kind of foretelling now, there can be some foretelling into a future event that can be entered into that, but for most of us today in our era, now that we have the written word for us, that's all we need, and we can tell that strongly from what's already been revealed to us through the written word. That's the primary role of prophecy today. It contains truth. God's word contains this truth that needs to be delivered clearly and unashamedly to people so that people will be called to take God at his word. We can say, you can take this to the bank. You can trust it. Millions of Christians have trusted God at his word, and he's still trustworthy today. Some people are also given the gift to speak truth, and sometimes it comes in a way that contains future events. I haven't had too many of these things happen in my own life, but I recall one vividly. It happened way back in Fort Worth, Texas. My wife was expecting our very first child, and we were selling a dining room table on what would be kind of similar to a Craigslist sort of thing back then. That's back when we had to carve it out on a stone tablet, you know, and then take a picture of it, put it out on Twitter. That's how people, no, it's not how it meant. But anyway, uh, we sold this table and the person who wanted to buy it was buying it for a shut-in friend of hers down in South Fort Worth. And so this lady was shut in. She couldn't come pick it up. They 
didn't have a car big enough to load it in there. I said, I, I can fit that in our vehicle. We'll be happy to deliver it. It would give us a chance to minister to somebody, give us their address. I said, okay, we'll do that. We'll, if you call us before you go, we'll call her and let you know you're on your way because you'll need to knock on the door. And if you'll announce yourself, give your names, she'll call you back to her room because she can't get up to even get to the front door. I said, that sounds like a deal. It was a sweet house. It was very tiny, probably 800 square feet, little two bedroom home. It was nicely appointed with uh, probably thrift store furniture, but it was clean and nice. And the lady had crosses and scripture verses on the wall. She was a believer, a sweet black woman that uh, she introduced her, herself to us. And she was just a precious individual. And Joy and I went together. And when we went back there, before the lady did anything else, Joy walked up to her and this lady laid her hand on Joy's tummy and started prophesying. She spoke for a minute and she says, and this young lady is going to grow up. She's going to be powerful in the Lord. She's going to accept Christ as her personal savior. And she's going to be, and Joy and I just looked at each other like, okay, this is different. This is not the kind of stuff that happens most of the time in our worship services back in our church, but okay, we're going to go with that. And then the lady could probably tell by the looks on our faces that we were a little shocked by that. She says, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I hope that I didn't just put you off right then. She says, sometimes the Lord just takes over and I can't help it. <laughs> and of course, we were totally fine and we blessed her for that. So thank you so much. That's wonderful. She was so sweet. We had a great visit. We delivered the table. I felt like that was just a God divine appointed moment. You know, just a sweet, precious, precious lady in the Lord. What she didn't know, though, at the time was that just a few weeks later, when Katie was born, Katie would get deathly ill with an unknown virus and that she'd go into the hospital and she'd be in an oxygen tent. And we wouldn't know for about 24 hours if she was going to live or if she was going to die. But that sweet lady who had prophesied over our daughter had told us that she was going to grow up. Now, I didn't think about that. I pondered it in my heart. I didn't think about that because I was so taken with the circumstance of our daughter in the hospital until later. And after I looked back on that, I thought, oh, wait a minute. She was prophesying about something that actually came true. And she even apologized because she didn't want to put us off because we didn't expect that. We didn't see that coming. But I looked back at that and realized, I think there was really something to that. Another example of why it's very, very rare in our experience to see this thing happen, but it happened. And I'm a first person eyewitness to that event. And so I think that these things still do happen because people are brought into unity. It conf it's confirmed in God's word. It's not contrary to God's word. Christ is exalted and other people are built up in the body of Christ. Distinguishing between spirits is something I don't do as well as I would like. I've known other people in the body of Christ, including people in my own family. They just have that sixth sense that I think is not just a sense. I think it's the Holy Spirit revealing to them so that if they have some check in their spirit, some red flag that goes up after an original introduction, they can say something that's a little bit off. We need to be wary. There's something, some ulterior motive or, or there's something that this person wants that's not healthy and we need to proceed with caution. That's a good thing to know. And it's something that we need to be able to trust in others if they see that and not to rush in headlong. I've gotten myself in trouble as a pastor before by trusting somebody too quickly with a responsible role and realized, oh, I should have listened 
to some other people who had some caution flags going up there. We needed to get to know that person a lot better, maybe done a better job of working them into that role because it was just a little bit uh, premature and trying to trust them with too much responsibility. Speaking in tongues, different languages, that's what that word actually means. Sometimes people will say that, for example, when Peter was giving his great talk and 3,000 people came to faith in Christ that day, that he was speaking in unknown tongues, but others would say, no, there were languages of the people that were visiting because they were all in Jerusalem that day. The original word in the Greek says languages, and it appears very unusual that many people were hearing in their own language from their culture, and they could understand what was going on. There's a necessary accompanying gift. Now, I don't have time to camp out on this one because we're going to be talking about this uh, next week and the week after. There are necessary accompanying gifts that went along with some of these gifts. You need them both. This is one of those. It's got to be a both and. It's like two sides of the same coin. If somebody has the gift of speaking in tongues, and if God motivates you through the Spirit to speak in a tongue, according to Paul's teaching, there also needs to be an interpreter present because they were doing things orderly. They would only allow two or three people to do this sort of thing as they had gathered in their midst. It wasn't allowed to be just a free-for-all, as some people might call that. I've been to some churches where that was not the case. It was sort of a concert of prayer. Many, many people were speaking in tongues. To some of us who didn't grow up with that tradition, that was rather unsettling because I didn't know what was going on and I didn't know what was supposed to have been said or if there was an interpretation or not. And so it was hard to tell if it was the actual thing or not. So Paul's saying, let's be cautious about that and let's make sure that if we're going to speak a word, he would rather speak the words that were intelligible because those of us who hear unintelligible words aren't benefiting from that. But for those who hear the intelligent and intelligible words, we can be brought to faith in Christ. And so that's the ones that he's trying to point us to. That's a capsulization of what we're going to be getting to uh, in just the upcoming passages. So we'll look at that in just a little bit in more detail. Here's the problem. It's the problem that was all the way back in Corinth. It's a problem that still exists in today's churches often. That's that some people will be given certain gifts and they elevate that gift over another gift. Or maybe they are jealous of somebody because they possess a gift that they wish they had. And so there's some sort of a jealousy and that, that shouldn't be. We'll see more of this in chapter 16 and why it's important that the body, all the body is considered important. The solution for that is what I brought about at the very beginning, that key part of this passage, which is all those gifts are given for the common good. Every time we understand, okay, yes, I deliver my gift a little differently than somebody else might. There's different workings, but it's the same spirit involved. There may be just different outcomes, but all those outcomes should be associated with the fruit of the spirit. If I'm angry and coming at somebody and I say, well, I've got a gift of prophecy, so you just need to deal with it. Well, that's not the fruit of the spirit. It's supposed to be love and gentleness and patience and long suffering and forbearance and caring for these other people coming across so that you can be stern and compassionate at the same time. You need both the fruit and the gifts. So it's something for us to be discerning as a body to say, you know, I really appreciate that person's gift because I've seen it in operation. And when it's operating, man, the whole body is built up and we all benefit. So let's collect these gifts together in a wonderful collection for the common good and watch to see the unity that's brought out of it 
and that people are attracted to a body like that because they want to be in a group like that because we don't see that kind of unity being expressed in our world today. We just don't. Man, if we ever needed unity in the body of Christ, it's right now, folks. There's no way we're going to be unified by the world's standards. It's not going to bring about the kind of unity that only God can bring about. Can I get an amen? We might think, oh, but my little gift, my gift is not enough. Guess what? You're exactly right. <laughs> it's not enough. That's the point. That's what we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, too. One little tiny gift by itself, it's not enough. It's only when those gifts are brought to bear with one another for the common good that they start to become pixels in a picture that looks like Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ. We become the great puzzle coming together so that people can see him more clearly. You're right. Your gift is not enough. Don't feel less than if you don't possess a certain gift like evangelism or prophecy or the gift of healing or the gift of whatever, you may just have the gift of hospitality. Praise God for that. You may be like that Priscilla to invite somebody into your home so that somebody with the gift of teaching can teach somebody. Other things can happen, but we need to put all those gifts together and we can even do so virtually. We just need to get a little more creative in doing it. And Soon enough, in God's good time, we are going to be back to being able to do more and more of these things together in real space as well. We can count on that. It's coming. Example of different shapes. We've got the spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personalities, experiences. Just last Wednesday, we saw a bunch of different people. They all had different shapes, but they came to bear on a difficult situation because something that we never do I came up with a whimsical thing that was just prompted. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to go with this now and say it was the Holy Spirit that prompted me to do this now. It's only in retrospect. I didn't feel that way at the time. I just figured we need to take our little puppy, Poppy, the puppy named Poppy, out for some socialization. And I was getting stir crazy. I'd been sitting too long at the computer. My back was getting stiff. And I thought if we take a slight early lunch and if we drive down to Dundee, which is close to us, we can walk around Cabela's because they allow pets in there. And then we could get some food on the way home, bring it back and eat with us here so that we don't take too much of Callie's lunch hour because she's got a limited time. And that way we could all just get a little sunshine, get a little movement, get some socialization. It'll all be good, right? Some of you read Callie's post if you've seen this. So some of you know what's coming, but many of you haven't. We only get down to the main street, Dexter, which is that street that people coming off of the freeway come right onto Dexter. And some people are still moving a pretty good clip when they get right off the freeway. And we saw some woman across the street waving her arms at traffic, oncoming traffic, the opposite way. And she was waved. She looked really concerned. Now, I hate to say this, folks, but my first impression was, oh, maybe she's mentally ill. Maybe she's got schizophrenia and she's having a conversation with people we can't see. I don't know what's going on. That was my first thought. I feel almost ashamed for going there immediately, but I've seen enough of those people in downtown areas before that that's the first thing that popped into my mind. And then one of the girls in the car said, oh, wait, she's trying to get that person's attention. There was somebody else down the street, but on the opposite side, they too were waving their arms. And then we looked over and saw on our side of the street that there was a little puppy and some young lady was trying to catch that dog. It wasn't really a puppy, it was a dog. And 
the dog was going further and further away from this young lady who was looking very concerned. She had a doggy treat in her hand and she was trying to coax the dog, but it was right there on the little grassy area right next to the curb in this busy roadway. And so suddenly everybody was on edge. We're like, oh man, we got to do something right now. <laughs> so we had already seen two people trying to flag down traffic to, to get them to slow down because they didn't want them to run over this dog if it ran out in the street. Joy starts to open the door almost immediately. I'm like, honey, you need to wait until I pull off the road because there's still people coming. There's we stopped right this Okay. Now, Callie says we were stopped at that point, but <laughs> we were still in the street. And so then I just pulled up into a little driveway of a service station there. And Joy was trying to jump into action because she, she's a jump into action person with her shape. That's the way God gifted her. She was going to try to do the things she could do based on what she had to offer. Everybody, long story short, everybody dove into action. There was another man who had some mobility issues, but he had a box of milk bone doggy treats in his truck, just had to have them handy. He pulled up into another parking lot area. It was really funny because we watched a whole community of people starting to rally around what we could do to try to help this thing. And the net was growing tighter. And finally, this dog got into a little area close to a, a little Milan market, a store where there was a chain link fence. And we're thinking, good, maybe the young lady can kind of corner it in this little area. And then it shot loose again, but at least it wasn't right out next to the road. And it was getting further and further out toward the neighborhood thinking, well, it's going to turn left and go into the neighborhood toward the school. And that's when I looked over, turned to my right, and I saw my daughter who had our little puppy, Poppy, on a leash. She was carrying Poppy. And I thought, oh, I see what's happening now. This is perfect. She had come across the other parking lot from our car, made sure that Poppy had her harness on and was leashed up just in case. And then Callie got as close as she could and knelt down and held out Poppy so that this dog who had been running away from the young lady trying to catch it could see the, the puppy. Now, Poppy didn't know that Poppy was gonna be the hero that day, but oh my goodness, she was the hero. This dog turned and looked and I saw that look in that dog's face is like, oh, I have to come and sniff that other little dog. And it started doing that. And as it did so, every single one of us as adults, we started to well up because we're thinking, it's gonna happen. <laughs> This is going to work. And as soon as the dog got right over and right touching snout to snout and started sniffing Poppy's face, Callie very gently, very carefully reached in and got a hold of that dog's collar. And the young lady who had been chasing the dog just busted out crying. She went, thank you so much. <laughs> oh, it came to a good end. And that dog was saved. And it turns out it was a Boston Terrier, just like Poppy's breed. Takes one to know one. <laughs> the thing that was so amazing to me is that I looked around and saw all these people who dove into action for the common good. Nobody was thinking of themselves. They were all thinking about what can we do to save this one dog from destruction because it was headed to destruction in that street. May I make a pastoral and prophetic statement now? There are people who are headed for destruction and it's eternal. If we care as much about a dog running into the street, and this is where the Holy Spirit nailed me this week, shouldn't we be caring just as strongly, if not more, for the people who are lost and headed 
for an eternity separated from God in hell. Wow, that one just kind of, it came over me big time this week. And I've been burdened with that because I know that I've missed opportunities to be prophetic or strong and clear in my declaration of the truth. I want people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that they can accept his grace as I have. And I want all the people around me whom I love to hear that and respond to that as well. Because if I start thinking about it, it it's overwhelming. And it's oppressive and it's sad to me that people wouldn't want to respond to that. And so I just want, I want you to know that that's my heart that was just pulled to the edge of horror as I thought about a dog getting run over. And I thought, do you have that same amount, that same level of horror in your own life as you think about lost people? I think God's been working on me. And I want to be clear, crystal clear, about the use of all of our spiritual gifts, that as each of us contribute whatever it is we have to contribute, it's going to be used by God in some specific, wonderful way to help draw lost people into his loving embrace. And I pray that many will, just as Paul did, I pray that many will be saved that many, many, many will come to faith in Christ. And I want them to so badly. When all the gifts are present, someone who's hurting stops hurting. Someone who's depressed gets helped, and they start to feel a little less depressed. Someone who's ready to give up finds a reason to keep going. Someone who is overlooked gets noticed. And they realize that someone sees them, and they care. Someone who is distant from God takes a step closer to him. Someone in need of encouragement gets encouragement. Someone who is seeking guidance finds it, and they feel more secure in taking their next step. Someone in need of loving correction knows that they are compassionately loved and admonished, but they accept the admonishment because of the love, and they take the necessary steps of correction so that they're welcomed back in with grace. Someone who doesn't feel the need of anything, including God, starts to feel that tug on their heart by the Holy Spirit and they get drawn closer to him and they realize their great need for God. Someone who starts to feel the need to connect with God reaches out to a fellow Christian who can help walk with them into their relationship with a loving God who wants to transform them over their lifetime to be more and more like Jesus Christ. I pray that as the spiritual gifts are employed by all of us, many people will find the kind of salvation that people are desperate for and need today. Would you pray with me that God will be the one who produces the growth and will be obedient even if it's on a need-to-know basis? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, I pray. I pray that if there's somebody today even who's listening to this, that maybe their heart will be just pricked in the right way. That maybe somebody's heart will be softened, knowing how much 
you desire that we come into a saving relationship with you. So much so that even while we were still sinning, you died for us. I pray for all of us who have spiritual gifts that we won't minimize what we've been given, but we'll just employ it openly, knowing that the response is not up to us, only the obedience. And we will be obedient. I, I pray, Father, that we'll be obedient to whatever you prompt us to do with our gift. And may we do everything we can to connect with other gifted members of the body of Christ so that together you will become more and more evident in other people's lives, especially those who need you the most. And I thank you for what you're going to do as a result, knowing that you haven't given up on doing this great work, just as you were doing way back when Paul started to write to us in 1 Corinthians. You're still at work today. And I pray that we'll see more and more people taking steps of faith and becoming adopted into the family of faith. Kingdom citizens. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.